If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And, uh, you know, sometimes you read a story, you see it online or whatever, and you just look at it, and you're like, you can't even make that stuff up. This next thing that I want to tell you about, I don't even think you could make this thing up. Some of you have heard the name of Emperor Monachil II. He, in the late eight, or early um, 1900s, late 1800s, was a leader in Ethiopia. In that country, he um, is known by scholars as being one of the, the creator of modern Ethiopia. He was an incredible leader, a very successful ruler in his time. But that emperor had a really weird quirk. It was that at one time in his life, he had heard that God's word was good for you. And so according to Wikipedia, I don't know if you trust it or not, but according to Wikipedia, they say that he literally, when he started to feel ill, would take pieces from his Bible and eat it. Um, some of you are like, that's nasty. Yeah, it's gross. In fact, he swore by this. He, he encouraged his fellow uh, rulers and those who served with him that they, they take up this, this experience that he had. And one day in December of 1913, after recovering from a stroke and feeling extremely ill, he took the entire book of Kings. He had it torn from an edition of the Bible that he ate. He ate every page of it. And then he died. That's really what happened. Isn't that crazy? So you can't make this stuff up, can you? There, there's a passage of scripture we're going to look at briefly this morning. And we're going to look at a bunch of passages of scripture this morning. But it's going to talk about the fact that you and I are people who are called to rightly handle the word of truth. Hey, note to self, that's not the right way to handle the word of truth, right? When, when we talk about God's word as being the word of life, my encouragement to you this morning is that every single person that's in this room, every person who's joined us online, I believe that God has given you access and the capability to be a student of God's word on your own. In fact, uh, I, I love, have you guys seen the eagles? That there's a, they say the population of bald eagles in our area is growing. I don't know if you've seen them around the community around us, but I love this picture. And what, what I'm told as you study about eagles is that, have you guys noticed in spring you start to see the, the little robin eggs and you start to see, you've seen it before where there's a nest full of little, little baby birds and they're just crying out for, for their mom or their dad to give them that worm that they captured. And, and it's kind of gross, right? Because it's kind of regurgitated, right? That it's been, been pre-digested and now it's being fed. Well, the incredible thing about an eagle is that they, from the day that they crawl out of that shell, that they are ready to eat meat. <laughs> that the day that they come out, their, their parents will bring them raw meat. And you can see the little eaglet in there in that nest. There's probably others in there. But it will only take about 10 weeks before that eagle is out of the nest and it's already ready to fly and to get its own food. I wanna tell you this morning, when it comes to being a Christ follower, associated with the word of God and being a part of the church, that one thing that every single person has the capability of doing is to have access to the truth of God's word and to study it and to digest it for themselves. And I want to encourage you, Pris Priscilla Shriver, the um, daughter of Tony Evans, she tells the, this statement. She says, I think it's time for us to stop taking and accepting hand-me-downs from other people, but it's time for us to accept the new thing for ourselves. You get that? And what she's talking about is understanding the truth of God's word for ourselves. 
And this morning, I want to challenge you. I'm going to poke you a little bit. I'm going to encourage you that, that for those of us who have access to the truth of God's word, and I'm guessing you're probably like me. I've got like 100 Bibles, and they're great. I love them. Having them sit on my shelf is so different than me committing myself to studying to show myself a workman approved, rightly handling the word of truth. I have bad news for you this morning. There are ways that you can wrongly handle the word of truth. In fact, the deceiver, Satan, is a master at wrongly handling the word of truth. In fact, you and I can be masters at wrongly handling the word of truth. This morning, I want to challenge you that you and I can be people who are self-feeders of God's word, but it requires work. It requires effort. It requires humility. I can remember at Cedarville, a Christian college that I attended, I'd grown up going to a public high school and I loved God's word, but I never studied it. And I can remember going to chapel and the Cedarville chapels are great. Thousands of people in there worship together. It's a really cool experience. And I can remember the first time that a speaker stood up and they said, turn with me and your Bibles too. And I had no idea where that verse was that that, that pastor had said or the, the teacher. And I remember this moment for me when I'm, I'm embarrassed. I don't know where, if, and I, I wonder, I'm just going to start, you know, anybody does this before? Some of you are like, all right, where, second hesitations. I don't know where it is. I'm looking through here. And, and, and I just decided, I, even with people all around me that I respected, some of them had grown up having access to God's word in different ways than I did. But I just decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to do my best to learn it on my own. And so you guys might not know this, but in the front of your Bible, there's this awesome page that has all of the alphabetical listings of the verse, uh, the um, different books of the Bible and, and the page numbers that are beside it. That's awesome, right? And, and so humbly that day, I just decided, you know what? I'm not gonna act like I have it all figured out. I'm not gonna act like I know all of this stuff, but what I'm gonna choose to do is I'm just gonna get better at it. I'm just gonna commit to myself going through the steps and putting the energy and time and just growing in my ability to be a self-feeder of God's word. Sometimes we say things like when it comes to church stuff, we say things like, man, I want spiritual meat. You guys ever said that before? I want somebody to give me spiritual meat. I promise you, if you're depending on someone like me to be the only source of spiritual food for you in a week, you're going to be malnourished. Just promise you that. But if you learn what it means to be a self-feeder of God's word, it's incredible to see how much you're going to grow in your wisdom and your knowledge and your understanding of the living word of God. Isn't that great? And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2.15, where we accept the first point this morning is that it is easy for you and I to mishandle God's word. It says this in 2 Timothy 2 uh, verse 15. It says this, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's a challenge. That's an exhortation. That takes work for us. And, and I want to remind you, there are ways to wrongly handle the word of truth. First, say this, that there are people who are, are committed to adding and subtracting to the truth of God's word. 
adding a sentence, adding a word, adding a phrase, deleting, subtracting something to call God a God, not in the beginning of the word, was God. Do you understand the, the subtle differences? And I'll just encourage you, Satan's really, really good at it. Some of you are saying, what do you mean Satan knows the Bible? Well, I will tell you, Satan knows the Bible better than you do. And it's important for us to understand that Satan, by definition, is the deceiver. He's the father of lies. John 8, 44 describes him this way. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. This is not a compliment. You understand? He's saying, when he lies, this is Satan, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is deceptive. And if you, if you know this story of the temptation of Christ recorded in Matthew chapter 4, what we see is this time where Satan twists and adds and massages God's word in such a way that it attempts to get his will to be done. We see this when Jesus, in his first temptation in verse 1, says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, that's not eating food for 40 days and 40 nights. The biggest under, um, understatement in scripture was this. He says, he was hungry. <laughs> Duh, right? So he's hungry. And the tempter came to him. This is Satan, the deceiver, the, the fallen one that wants to steal, to kill, and to devour. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered him. I love how Jesus responds to the wiling schemes of the devil. He responds with scripture, right? And he says back in scripture, he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you understand those words of Jesus today, you'll get this message this morning. Man lives by every word. that comes from the mouth of God. Then in verse five, Satan takes him to his second point of temptation. And that is, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. I've been in Israel. I've looked in this, the view from the the holy of, or the, the temple mount is incredible from that region there. You can see all these homes and what's been built around it. And, and here he says these, these words, he says, If you are the son of God, again, questioning his divinity, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Those words are verbatim quotes of Psalm 91 verses 11 through 12. So the the psalmist had recorded these words. Satan is familiar with them and he's going to use the very word of God to tempt Jesus to do this miraculous act to draw attention to himself or as some have suggested that he would even commit suicide on that day. Jesus said to him, I love again, Jesus' response. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God at the test, to the test. You know, Satan's really good at mishandling, as, as, as massaging and moving, twisting the words of God. But let's be honest, you and I are pretty good at it as well. People can do it. And you remember the story of the woman, Eve, in the garden in Genesis chapter three. It's so subtle, but yet so profound. It says this in verse one. It says, he said to the woman, this is Satan, did God really say, actually say to you, you shall not eat 
of any tree in the garden. Um, so, so now Satan is, is sowing this question of doubt. He, he's twisting God's law, his commandments to Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? And then verse two, it says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Now, there should be a period at the end of that sentence. But instead, there's a comma. And then she, she says this extra phrase, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. It seems subtle, but that little inclusion changes the meaning of what Jesus or what God had said to her. And it changes the dynamics. And so what ends up happening is Satan says, well, there's no way that if you touch it, you'll die. And then the serpent says to the woman, you, woman, you will not surely die. So, so guess what happens? In the garden, when she touches the fruit from the tree that God said, don't eat from it, and she doesn't die, now she finds that it's okay for her to not trust the very character of God. Do you guys understand how subtle this is? But I'm not recommending that they were like playing football with the, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? What, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying though is that, is that people have historically done a wonderful job of adding to the truth of God's word, twisting it, moving into it. You guys know some of the examples of this where we say the, that we say the that money is the root of all evil. You've heard this before. Well, what scripture really says is the love of money is the root of all evil. Hey, newsflash, we all need money, right? Like it's necessary. Can you imagine if you just said, hey, yeah, boss, I don't, I don't need a paycheck anymore. It wouldn't go very well. You wouldn't eat, right? But think about how important it is to remember if we love money, if it begins to replace the place of God in our life, then that's Pretty evil, isn't it? Do you understand how subtle those words are? But words really matter as students of the living word. So we're good at mishandling God's word by adding and subtracting to it. The details matter. And there, there's a massive difference between what, what it is and God's truth versus God's truth with an inclusion or addition to it. Another way that some individuals do a disservice, a mishandling of the truth of God's word is to ignore the who, the what, the when, the why, and the how it was written. This is essential for us to understand that God's word was written by the in, in divine inspired work of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. It's living and active. God's word is incredible. But it was also written through the inspiration of human beings that recorded the truth of God's word. And often they were writing in a context about an experience or an event that had taken place. And so all truth is God's truth. God's word is his inspired gift to each one of us. Praise the Lord, we have access to the author still. Did you guys fall asleep on me already? <laughs> Praise the Lord that we have access to the author still. But it's important for us to understand that who, who wrote this? Why, why did they write this? Why is this recorded here? What, what, what's the purpose behind it? What was the meaning here? Uh, when was this written? What time period in history? Was it before the crucifixion? Was it after the crucifixion? Why was it written? How was it written? You know, genre really matters. I know some of us like, I haven't heard that word since I was in English class when I was in elementary school, right? But genre, was it written in poetic form? Was it narrative, a story that reminds us of something that's powerful, but we don't always get the, the side note that says, yeah, what happened there was great. 
And so knowing the genre matters. You know, it's one of my favorite books is the book Song of Solomon. It's an incredible book. It's about a story of love between a man and a woman and the gift of God to allow us to see his design for intimacy. It's beautiful. But it's written in the genre of poetry. And some have confused this over the years. And so um, as, as Solomon talks about his bride, the Shulamite, he describes her in incredible language that's artistic, it's flowing, it's beautiful. Um, but a literal interpretation of it would give you um, this work of art as a description of his wife, okay? You, you look close at this and you see the description. I didn't draw that myself, but... Uh, but, but, but this description that he uses of his bride is something that's intimate, it's beautiful, it's personal, and it's also poetic, you understand? And so when he talks about his bride, on our prayer meeting on Wednesday night, we, we talked about in, in Psalm 119, this phrase that says that God's word is like honey on our lips. I think for some of us in the room, we're like, I haven't had honey in like a decade, right? Does it, doesn't it go on baklava or something like that, right? But, but you understand what the psalmist is saying there is he says, God's word is like the sweetest thing that I'll ever put on my lips. So for some of you, that might be a, a caramel frappuccino, right? Uh, for, for some of you, that might be a, a, a slab of chocolate cake or something like that. But, but what David is saying, the meaning behind what he's saying is that this is something beautiful, personal. You guys can't not look at that, can you? <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm have to change the slide so that you guys can pay attention to me here. So, you, you guys get it though, right? Like poetic. Like, so, so if we treat this like we do other genres of scripture, like narrative and those things, the literal interpretation of it sometimes is really appropriate, but at other times it, it can allow us to be a person who's confused or misunderstanding exactly what God's trying to teach us. So the author wants to communicate truth to us. And it's appropriate for us to be people who are committed to rightly handling the word of truth. I've, I've teased about the, the, the Christian roulette way of kind of making decisions, you know, where you take your Bible and you go, all right, should I marry her? And it's, um, you know, whatever that verse, that, that's a bad idea, right? It's, a, it's wrongly handling the word of God because it's ignoring the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, and the how of scripture, and so the work that it takes for us to do this, it, it, it takes effort. And what saddens me is that there have been some people historically who've distorted the text, that they've taken verses out of context in order to defend things that go completely against the teaching and authority of God's word. That there are people who've done their own version of surgery to, to pick and to choose those things that they want to say. You guys know historically that there have been times in history, even in our own country's history, where people have used verses to try to justify things like slavery. Or, or scientifically, years past, that, that there was a, a, an, an opposition between understanding a circle globe view of the world versus the world being flat. And people were confusing something that wasn't taught in scripture as being authoritative. Do you understand? So, so this quote is fascinating to me. It looks like a great quote, doesn't it? It looks like something that you and I could get behind. I believe today that my conduct is in accordance with the will of the almighty creator. What a great phrase. It wasn't a pastor who said that. It was Adolf Hitler who said those words. And it's important for us to understand that people have claimed authority from God's word to do despicable things. 
And so this morning, as we look at this truth, it's essential for us to truly, deliberately study scripture for ourselves, to commit ourselves to not wrongly handle this truth, but to rightly handle it with a conviction that we understand the there and then and how it impacts the here and now. So context really, really matters. Understanding the fullness of God's truth, using scripture to interpret scripture. I think for some of us, if we're really honest about why we don't study the Bible, we understand that it takes a lot of work. Sometimes it's just easier to have someone do that work for us. Or this is, this is probably the most lethal one that I've seen, is that we actually believe that we've heard it all already. You know, God's word is called the living word. And I'll just tell you, as I study God's word today as a, as a 43-year-old looking at scripture from the lens of saying, like, what do I know? I guess I'm 44, something like that. I don't know. I had to ask Allie in the first service. I don't know if we agreed to it or not. Right? But, but as, a, as, a, as a dad, as a husband, as a, as a father, as I've read scripture that at one time meant something to me and over time I realized, man, that, that looks different to me because it's his living word. So the assumption, I think this kind of happens today is that we may have heard certain stories, we've experienced certain things that have become familiar to us and that familiarity has often led to contempt for us that we, we feel like I've already read it, so what is there for me? I wanna encourage you that, that this idea of studying God's word is something that we need to allow ourselves to be consistent and deliberate to do the hard work of understanding his truth. And, and I think that assumption that we know it all is dangerous. When I, I love telling the story when I was in seminary that I, they were picking and choosing different, different uh, t- sermon topics. And I had read Proverbs 5 before and the, that one showed up. And so I just raised my hand. Yeah, I'll preach on Proverbs 5. And I, I really just glanced at the passage of scripture and I thought it was about and not stealing from your neighbor. And it turned out about marriage and sexual intimacy. And it was really awkward to preach that sermon. I'll just tell you that much. And so my pride originally was like, oh, I'm familiar with that passage. And then after the fact to realize, oh, God's word is saying something completely different. I don't know what the example is for you in your own life, but I want to encourage you to humbly come to God's word Say, Lord, what do you have for me? I had a friend after the first service come up to me and he was mentored by, by Pastor Donald Schaefer. Some of you, you know that name. He was one of the founding fathers of Hope Church uh, many years ago in terms of planting this church through Grace Church in Middleburg Heights. And one of the things that, that he says that Pastor Donald used to do when he'd come to scripture is that he would just read it until the Holy Spirit spoke to him. Isn't that incredible? Just study it until he hears the voice of God as he studies it. And he used to just talk about why in the world would I ever depend on eating something that someone else has already chewed for me, is the way he worded it. So I want to encourage you that we understand that there's some that wrongly handle the word of truth. But here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 17, we get to see an exhortation for a man who had been exposed to the truth of God's word from a young age. And what he said, um, what the Apostle Paul said to him is very helpful to each one of us today. He said, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from what you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's a great description of God's word, which are able to make you wise 
for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. God's word can teach us to be wise. It can teach us what it means to be saved. It can help us to understand God's truth because, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. Those are, are, are like gym kind of terms, the workout kind of terms. They're describing what it means to consistently, faithfully invest in something that yields great results for correction and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, for the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I love that. That passage of scripture is profound to me. This, this uh, next picture is a picture of one of my favorite professors in seminary. His name is Dr. Howard Hendricks. Some of you may be familiar with some of his uh, books that he's written. He spoke at Promise Keepers. Just a wonderful man. And had the privilege of him mentoring me and his wife mentored my wife, Allie, when we were in seminary. And one of the things Prof used to always say is he said, don't let me come visit your church someday and find out that you're boring your congregation with God's word. Isn't that great? He said, it's a sin to, to make God's word boring. Isn't that great? You know, you know the, this, this concept that he kept emphasizing for us was something that really stuck with me. He said, if I could teach one thing to churches, if I had one opportunity to teach them if I was a pastor, it would be that I would teach people how to study God's word for themselves. And, and I've always thought that that was a profound statement because of the fact that you, you think all these different things that he could say. But, but what he's saying is that he wants each person that's a believer to understand the beauty of discovering God's truth for themselves. Let me read a quote from him. He says, discovering something for yourself is entirely different from repeating what others have taught you. It's an awesome thing. You get the excitement of actually discovering stuff, says Dr. Hendricks. That's what is lacking today. We give people all of the answers, and if you don't have the basics, you're not going to get that much out of Bible study. But once people are taught how to do something, they can see the value of it. He, with his son, wrote this incredible little book called Living by the Book, and I recommend it. And in that book, he outlines a model of, of Bible study that I want to recommend to each one of you. The first is that you may Make good observation. You ask yourself the question of the biblical text, what do I see? The second is, is an important step in its interpretation. What does it mean? And then the third is essential, and it's the application step. How does it work? What does this mean to me? How does this change my life? Then I, I want to encourage you, we're going to focus in on that first one for a few minutes, that understanding the Bible requires the skill of good observation. Prof. Hendricks used to have us take one verse, and he would ask us to make 50 observations from one verse in the Bible. And we'd work on, I remember staying up super late working through these observations, then I came in with my notes, and then he said, okay, give me 50 more, is what he said. It, he's, he's approaching God's word as if it's a living thing that needs questions and asked and evaluated and to be sifted through to understand its truth. And I'll say to you that understanding the Bible requires us to make good observations, for us to look carefully at it. Now, I, I don't know, are you good at, at making observations? Are you one of those people that um, goes to your, your friend and you say, hey, I really like your new haircut. And they say, thanks, I got that haircut a month and a half ago, right? You, for some of us, we're not great at being particularly observant. And, and Howard Hendricks used to talk about growing in our capability to 
to um, see things in the text, to look at things that are repeated, to ask questions of the text, to wrestle through what is and what isn't in there. And, and I, I'm guessing that some of you have had this experience. The, the way that you are supposed to read scripture is the way that you read a love letter from someone that you really care about. Um, when I was a kid, they used to give love letters where there's like pull tabs and all these things. No, some of you know what I'm talking about. And then you'd open this up and there's, if you cared about what that person, who that person was that wrote it, you might remember that you look at it carefully and you see what was erased and you, you look carefully to see what was scratched out or, or what words did they use and what were they trying to say? Am I the only person that had this experience? No, a few of you did. That, that there's this, this part of you that just reads it because it's precious. I want you to understand that when God wrote his word to you, his desire was to communicate information to you that is both loving and challenging and convicting. And, and there's a part of this that it deserves our best kind of reading. It deserves our best kind of study. It deserves our ability to slow down and to ask questions of the text. I, some of you guys know what Where's Waldo is. I, I love this Where's Waldo. In the first service, I put this up there, and there are some people who are like, can you put that back up? Because they couldn't find him, you know? And, and this is a, there's a book that has these, and you're trying to find the little guy with the red and white hat, and now you guys aren't going to pay attention to anything that I have to say. <laughs> so, so you're looking, and what you're doing is actually a skill that's important in Bible study, and that is you're looking carefully for what is there. You're looking carefully for what isn't there. You're trying to find him. He's in the middle towards the bottom, okay? <laughs> but but as, you're, as you're looking through this, I just want to remind you, because you're like, you totally cheated. You told us the answer. But it is important to evaluate what it is that God is saying to you. And the way that we do that when we study God's word is we put it in its context and we pay attention to it. Listen to these words. What do you see going on in the text? There is a ton of wasted time spent trying to figure out what the Bible means without a basic understanding of what it says if you can't understand the text, then ultimately you cannot communicate it to someone else. You can't understand it. So some important questions for us as we study God's word. Who are the people? What are their relationships? What do these terms mean? What is the importance of the place that they're in? You read the passage as if it was for the very first time. And it's really possible to do that because it's the living word. You look for things that are emphasized, repeated, related, alike, unalike, and true to life. I take a notepad, I, one, of these, one of these legal notepads or uh, white notepads, I just write questions. What does that mean? I don't understand that. There are times when I've even stood in front of you planning on preaching a sermon that I thought was going to be about one thing because I had read it a few times and then studying it, I realized God had something completely different as I understood the truth of God's word for myself, asking tough questions. So we pay attention to things that are repeated, emphasized, related, distinct. And, and this is probably the easiest one for me. It's just the ones that just don't make any sense. Why is that there? I don't understand this. This is, goes against what I expected. And I think that that's the, the way that we rightly handle the word of truth is that we slow down. We prayerfully ask that the author who wrote it would reveal himself to us through it. Then we make space for it. And we just say, Lord, would you speak to me through, through your word? And I'm going to commit myself to making this a part. I have a challenge for you this morning. 
For, for some of us, we spend so much time consuming media right now, whether it's news, whether it's talk shows, whether it's radio, whatever it is, we just consume so much game, whatever it is. And I just want to challenge you this week to consider what would it look like for you to spend the time that you've spent there, just, just maybe a balance, like 50-50 split. How much time you spend doing other things that are studying, media, consuming, with, with how much time you're going to spend in God's Word. I promise you, if you choose to do that, you are going to hear the voice of God in that process. You're going to see things differently. You're going to hear things. You're going to worry less, to be honest with you. And I just want to encourage you that, that this is what I believe it means for us to be people who rightly handle the Word of truth. It doesn't matter how many Bibles you have on your shelf if you never access them. You understand? And I want to encourage you, third point this morning, this will be very brief, and that is help with understanding the Bible is available. We live in such a blessed time period, and we're so grateful. I'm so grateful for the things that are free, available online. Some of you knew the days of the old Strong's Concordance. How many of you own one of these in your home? And the whole Strong's Concordance, it was a wonderful gift. I couldn't afford one, and I had to go to the library at Cedarville to, to look up the Strong's numbers. And for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, Basically, what they've done is they've taken every verse in the Old and New Testament and put a number next to every word in its original language, Hebrew or Greek, and then you can look up the Strong's number in the verses, and then you can go find its meaning. It's really a gift. Well, with, with computers and technology, it makes all of those numbers irrelevant, right? Because there's just a simple program that does it. And there's opportunities that are out there for you. To, I love uh, one of the websites that I use regularly is called, um, is called um, Bible, Bible Hub. Um, there's another. It's great to have Jeff Laird with us. He teaches a class in our first hour about how to study the Bible. And Jeff works at a ministry called Got Questions, where you can bring your question. Like, why in the world is this... Um, this verse say this, or I don't understand how this fits together, or what's going on. Some of you like Bible Gateway, that's been a blessing to me where you can look at multiple translations. Let me just speak to multiple translations for a second to encourage some of you. Some of you guys know that I like to use the ESV. It's just a translation of God's word. It's important for us to remember that God's word is inerrant in its original form, the way it was given as it was originally recorded. And it was original. I don't know how many of you speak Aramaic. Uh, maybe a few of you speak Hebrew. Um, I don't know how many modern Greek Greek speakers there are in the room, but I doubt there's too many ancient Greek speakers in the room. That, that for each one of us, this trans, those original words that were written have had to be translated into a language that we understand. That translation process is why your Bible might say NIV and mine might say ESV. And I just want to share with you, after spending many years deliberately, diligently studying God's word, that it is so encouraging for me in its original language. I had to study a lot of Greek, a lot of Hebrew, not much Aramaic, but that the translations that we have are really reliable. And there's a different style of translating some over others, and there's reasons why I use what I use, but you know what's great about it is that it's God's word. It's authoritative. It's powerful. It's meaningful to us. 
And I want to challenge you, encourage you, that one of the steps that you can take if you want to actually get serious about studying God's Word is to invest in a good study Bible. There's online versions of this. I like the ESV study Bible. I use it online. I also like the Life Application Study Bible. But the great thing about a good study Bible, like every other Bible that you have, is that there is that, uh, that index in the front that tells you where those, those um, verses and chapters are. So if you're trying to find second hesitations, it won't help you. But if you're trying to find an actual book in the Bible, it will help you to find out what page it's on. But then beyond that, what you'll see is that there's, uh, there's both a cross-reference, which will show you in the center section what other verses are similar or have similar meaning. And then at the bottom there, it'll have a description, a reference, maybe a, uh, a, a, an understanding or an interpretation of what that truth was shared. I just want to remind you, it's really important to understand the difference between these two. This is the authoritative truth of God's word. This is individuals' opinions about it. So like the, the answers in the back of a math book, um, if, if any of you are math teachers, you know it is painfully unhelpful if somebody goes to the back of the book before knowing how to solve the problem, right? But what I love to do is I love to take the time to study God's word for myself, ask the questions, evaluate it for myself, and then use these as a, oh yeah, that's great, somebody else agrees with me. Or they completely disagree with me. So it's important for us to see that in the back, there's a concordance that's very helpful. For some of you, you might say, I've got a friend who's going through a divorce, what's God's word say about that? And there's a topical index in the back of a good study Bible that you can look up and you can say, all right, what's, what are some verses that are about this? It's an incredible tool. So, so when you think about having help understanding the Bible, that, that there's, there's options. <laughs> there's, there's ways to be encouraged in it. But th- this whole process, it, it's going to begin with us committing ourselves to saying that we're ready to be a self-feeder of God's word. So you remember in the book of Acts, we saw the church in, in um, Berea, that description of that church that said that they eagerly sought scripture to determine if what was taught was true. That was personal, right? And so, so this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward as we close out the service. And I wanna, um, we want to close out just singing, the, singing praises to the Lord, lifting his name high. But I, I want to challenge you to consider how you're approaching the truth of God's word. Are you depending on someone else to digest that truth and to provide truth for you? The dangerous part about that is if you depend on someone else to do that for you, it's possible that they may get it wrong. It's possible that they may confuse that truth or add or take away. So this is an incredibly personal challenge to you to say, are you willing to, ready to take seriously what it means for you to understand God's word for yourself, to be a self feeder of God's word? That begins with making good observation of the text. And if you do that, I believe you're a step in the right direction of understanding God's voice in your life and encouraging you to understand the one who inspired his living word from the beginning. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's good, that you promise us that it will not return void. Pray for each and every person here that there would be a conviction in our hearts that this is not just something that you've given for us to be aware of, but you've given it to us for us to explore and to know on our own. We love you. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.